0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
3: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, June 8th, 2020.
2: Later in the program, Sydney Foreman and I talked to two organizers of the Enough is Enough protest on Friday. Also Nicholas Debrita has an interview from that protest.
3: In today's show, you will also hear a few minutes with the mayor, but first, we have a report from WFHB news correspondent Jake Jacobson.
2: Last week, the Monroe County Council held a special meeting to vote on an exemption to fill two deputy sheriff positions. As WFHB correspondent Jake Jacobson reports, the context surrounding the special meeting drew crowds and criticism. The
0: Monroe County Council met last week to vote on filling two vacant county deputy sheriff positions. Normally, the Monroe County Sheriff's Department would not need to ask to fill this vacancy, However, due to budget concerns around COVID-19, the county council passed Resolution 2020-18, adopting a temporary hiring freeze. Therefore, Monroe County Sheriff Brad Swain is required to seek the council's permission to fill those vacancies before July 1st. At the beginning of the meeting, Sheriff Swain announced that he would be putting a pause on his request.
4: Given uh, there's still a lot of unknowns on the budget and where we're at, uh, I've decided to uh, push pause on making this request uh, for today. I understand that that sense of meeting was called the order that we uh, need to do this formally. So at this point, I wish to uh, just Press pause on this request until more information is made available on our budget.
0: The agenda for last Thursday's special meeting was not published publicly until Wednesday, despite Sheriff Swain's request for exemption being made prior. The concept of a special meeting to hire new deputy sheriffs caused concern among Bloomington residents. People worldwide have spent this week protesting the unjust abuse and killing of Black Americans at the hands of the police with many activists calling for police defunding. Councillor Jeff McKim addressed the confusion, explaining the situation and identifying what the council can do better in the future.
5: Last week, I believe the request was made to add this to the agenda. And the meeting, the public meeting actually was publicly noticed to the media and uh, officially scheduled uh, last Thursday. The message that we received on the council that told us that the special meeting was being uh, requested mentioned that it was a, uh, to us, that it was a time-sensitive request from the sheriff's office. However, the memo, the official legal notice that went to the press actually just said that it was a special meeting of the county council with no context whatsoever. Now, fast forward to, I believe, yesterday in which the official agenda was actually sent out and published, and that agenda had that it was specific, specifically about rehires. So from the sheriff's perspective, this request had gone in a month ago. from our perspective, it had gone in uh, last Thursday. but from the public's perspective, they're only learning about it now. And that's why even though the and, and this is well documented, this is all you know all, all in writing, this happened well before any protest was uh, was considered. That, from the public's perspective, yeah, it came out this this looks like an emergency, even though it was actually scheduled uh, significantly before. so, yeah, I, I can I can see why the public would think that this is uh, this came across as an emergency.
0: Sheriff Swain addressed concerns that waiting too long to hire a new deputy means the deputy will lose their place at the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy.
4: The police academy now is uh, very strict on when people are allowed to uh, gain a spot at the academy. And we have to have a uh, deputy on the payroll to get a place in the academy. Uh, With the new academy coming up in just a few weeks, Uh, I wanted to have this deputy, this new hire, which is filling an already existing position. These are not brand new positions, I want to clarify. We need to have him on the payroll in time to attend the academy. And with the COVID creating a potential backlog at the center, there's a chance that uh, I don't know when that deputy would be able to be placed into the academy uh, roster.
0: Councilor Cheryl Munson motioned that the council set a time and place for a town hall event to allow for a full discussion related to the hiring of law enforcement. The motion passed unanimously. Monroe County Council members took time to address the over 250 Hoosiers who attended the public Zoom meeting before Councilor Kate Wilt suggested the council take public comment prioritizing people of color. In what he later called, quote, a nervous attempt to make light of the difficulty of trying to prioritize a group of people with only a text list of names to go off of, end quote, Chief Technology Officer Eric Evans responded.
1: We can do public comment, it's just how am I going to decide who's black enough to talk? You know, I mean, we need for someone to make that decision.
0: Evans issued an apology to Indiana Public Media, saying, quote, I sincerely apologize to all who were offended. I will do better. End quote. Jada B, a member of the core council of Black Lives Matter Bloomington, was given the floor and responded to comments about the civility of protests and highlighted the importance of listening to feedback from Bloomington's vulnerable communities.
6: I would like to speak very specifically to the comments that I heard earlier about protests turning violent, all of the protests have been peaceful until the police turned them violent. All of them have been peaceful until the police turned them violent. This is being published on the news every single day. If you wanna take public comment about whether or not to move forward with the vote for these two people, uh, for these uh, two officers, I think that that's a great idea but I think that public comment has to be listened to and the public sentiment of Bloomingtonians has to be heard, Um, unlike with the Bearcat, unlike with uh, other decisions that the council has has made, either the city council or the county council has made about things, we need to be very sure that we are listening not just to the community, but also to those most vulnerable within the community, meaning black voices, uh, black queer voices, black trans voices, Um, because uh, what happens is um, that we are so often overlooked in these conversations. We are so often um, underrepresented Uh, in the council itself. We are not represented on any level in terms of the diversity within the county council. And this is... There, you know, uh, how many, how many black, black, sh- black, uh, deputies do you have, sheriff? How many black cops are there on even the police force? Are we even listening to those people too? You know, so this is, this is all, this is all interconnected. It's all interwoven together.
0: Resident Ricky Mouser asked how many of the council members were willing to commit to a further hire freeze or to defunding the police. Several residents echoed this question. The county council declined to comment. For WFHB,
2: I'm Jake Jacobson. On Thursday of last week, we talked to Selena Drake and Selena Tesvagiorgis, organizers of the Enough is Enough protest in March from Dunn Meadow to Monroe County Courthouse. Here's that interview ahead of Friday's protest. So, Why is it important for Bloomington residents to come together in support of denouncing police brutality?
7: As you know, IU is a community filled with People from around the world, people from around our nation. And so it is important for IU students and IU and the Bloomington community to come together during times like this, just to, I guess, show love and support in times. Because mm-hmm. say somebody's from Atlanta and they come here and they're by themselves, they don't have anybody to talk to, they don't have anybody who can relate. And it kind of seems really hard to, especially being an IU student. And I know a lot of the Bloomington community kind of seems at disconnect, but IU's here, so how can we create that connection between the both? And so I think hopefully this protest slash march can create that community between the Black community um, as well as the IU Black community, and how can we create
3: change? Bloomington is a democratic city, but even with this being so, um, why is it so important to protest in a place where the majority may already be in support of what you're doing?
8: It could happen to any of us still like to any member of the Black community that's in Bloomington or any member of like Black IU. Um, And also just to, it's not just for us, it's also for those all around. It's in memory of um, George Floyd, Rihanna Taylor, all of those whose lives have been lost.
2: With that, can you talk about the systemic issue of police targeting people of color?
8: I can go over a
7: little bit of how I um, view systemic racism within the police force itself. And so going way back from slavery, Mm -hmm. um, after we were free, police, Minutemen, they were hired to basically protect white owners' homes. And policing, we see a lot of, okay, so we can't control Black people. How can we find another way to? And so back in the day, to stand around in public, you would get arrested, get in jail. And then while you're getting arrested, you will work. So it is essentially a whole new um, slavery as in mass incarceration when we see now the incarceration rates for blacks are so higher like than white and why is that and i hear a lot of people say oh a lot of white people are arrested way more than black people i mean yeah there's more there's more <laughs> white people in in america than there is black however look at the mm-hmm. mass incarceration rate how does that make sense i think we see now more people speaking up and more people recording and so now we see a whole new type of control and that's Coming to police brutality, and that doesn't even have to do with just the killing of black people. It has to do with just targeting black people just over little stuff, and just just making our community feel so uneasy. And, and we have and to fight our fight now. This is this is our fight. Like mm-hmm. this is what we yeah. have to do.
8: And I like read somewhere a lot of times officers are above the law, and like they aren't held to the same accountability. And um, I think that's another like that's just one thing we're calling for, and not complete just a big reformation because it's not built on a place to protect all it's built um, to protect some um have you two being the organizers of the protest have you worked with the city to organize this event we have we've been in communications with like really like anyone we could um we've spoken to like Bloomington Police Department IUPD as well um so they are like all in the knowing but we have been in communications because we do want this to be as peaceful as it can be and we wanted this to go smoothly and also to have direct results um that's why we have objectives in which we are pushing towards that's why we have direct fundraising
2: just to follow that up what did those um conversations with BPD look like
8: they were amazing. Right. Really. really? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, Bloomington Police Department genuinely has done what all of the United States should. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they have been, like an uh, impact with their division.
7: Personally, like um, I feel like I didn't know a lot of things that was going on within the police department. I just assumed what was going on. Um, it's not seen. We just assume, and that's the worst part of all of this. And so I think reaching out into our own community and building that relationship with that although we do want to recognize that police brutality is happening and we're not saying that the police in Bloomington are perfect. They're not. However, um, there's been strides to create community within the police department. And, you know, like I said, we can only assume what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. so how can we create that like change and how can we Implement that in our own community. Um, it goes just to talking to Chief um, Degoff and just reaching out to the department in general. And I know, I know, during these times it's hard, especially when you see an innocent man on national TV take his last breath because an officer was too prideful to get up, or who knows what was going through his head at that time. Nobody's telling people to not be angry. You can be angry all you want, and yeah. I don't want people to think that us working with the police department is shameful to our organization because it's not like if we make every bad officer quit their job and every good officer quit their job because there's bad officers who's going to be left to help what's going to be left to change we all quit our job now who's going to change what and that's up to us go to their office and say look We want changes. We don't see anything happening. What's going on? Like, tell me what you're doing. And that's what we're doing. We're not saying we're buddy, buddy with the police department. (laughs) We're not going to go say, Hey guys, want to hang out? No, it's, (laughs) it's, it's more so building that like knowledge base between both of our communities, because they probably don't even know what's going on in our community. Even though police brutality has been happening for years since the Rodney King riots, like and it's still happening. Ronnie King was in what, the 90s? Mm-hmm. Like, now it's 2020 and we have COVID-19 and we're rioting. Like, <laughs> it has come to this. The president is in a bunker. Why did it have to get here? You know, mm-hmm. why, why is it so,
3: so, why is it this big? If it was so simple to change, Why is the president in a bunker? Selena, you spoke about fundraising in the last question. Could you just talk about um, what, what you're fundraising for, where that's going?
7: Absolutely. So if you know, have you guys heard of the Banneker Center? So it's a community center. Um, It's an after school program.
8: Selena, did you want to go more into it? Like I said earlier, we wanted to have this um, rally and protest to have a direct impact on the local community. Um, And so we picked Banneker Community Center because it has essentially created a safe space for Black youth in Bloomington. And we also are attempting to have like a fund for Black businesses that have been affected by the protests and riots. As you can see, like, I'm sure you all have seen on like social media, there's a lot of people um, promoting these black businesses and stuff. But of course there's going, there's bound to be some damage to them. So we want to create a fund so they could like reach out and we could provide funding and aid um, to these different black businesses that are local.
7: Did you want to tell them how much we raised so far?
8: Oh yeah. my gosh, Yes. This is my, my best. This is my like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> it's only been like three days. Yeah. And this is just on our cash app too. So this isn't even, uh oh, I just get so happy. We're at 4.4 K right now. Wow, And we have started this and this isn't even just like this isn't including the donations from the value page. Wow.
2: So the next question is, how are protests helpful in general in getting the public to understand an issue?
7: I think letting out anger, but fueling that into passion. And so when you're at protests, you're just like you're angry. You're like you're sad. You're mad. Um, I think protests are important to just get the message out get the word out get the feeling out because yeah I can see something that happened on tv but how is it like affecting me like you can sit here and I can tell you everything that's ha- like happened in my life but if you don't experience that direct emotion that direct pain it's not gonna hit home and so that's what protest brings that's what that's what marches bring like it brings strength it brings empowerment that's what we want to bring to the community like everybody has a voice
8: a lot of a lot of the times emotion tends to get like disregarded because it's it's like invalid as uh, something that's towards change but what I think protests do is essentially validate emotion because emotion is something that is, that plays a role in the economic and social development of people. Like it vocalizing the emotions and anger that people feel, yes, putting them into passion, but also making people aware that, hey, emotions can be political. Emotions can be something that we need to focus on because it is. And what ways do you want to see white people supporting
3: this protest? Like how can someone appropriately use their white privilege we aren't asking
7: people to speak for us. We're asking people to speak with us. And with that being said, if you are a person who has never experienced any of this, but you want to get to know, or you want to help amplify these voices, all you have to do is reach out to any like Black organization, any Black like support system that you have. Like If you can't find that, get on Facebook because it's there. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. And I have a lot of like connections with an IU, with the Black IU, um, with the group scholars program, the Neil Marshall, um, BSU, the Black Student Union. Wow. And so it's as simple as just reaching out in your community and just don't try to put your face on something, say, oh, hey, I'm organizing this. No, we are organizing this. And I think that's a, a great way to put it.
2: The last question I have is, do you have any advice to ask protesters to stay safe, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic?
8: Yes. Um, so, <laughs> so we're um, providing as many masks as we've been donated and stuff. So we're going to try that. Obviously, social distancing is going to be a bit difficult in a, a big march and protest um, mm-hmm. But we have been taking a lot of measures. We want to give out gloves, masks. And also, we also give the opportunity um, to ride in cars, um, especially those who are at high risk. Um, And we made a a route for them to follow as well um, to march alongside via wheel. That's one way. And then also, if you're especially at like high risk um you could support in multiple ways that don't involve being there physically like seek out for those ask questions like selena said reach out to black people black orgs Um, there's donations, there's forums to sign. There's so many things out there that um especially if you're at high risk, put your life first.
7: Safety was the first thing
8: that we thought about because
7: instantly, as soon as I thought like March protests, a lot of people I thought COVID-19. And I know like you think of it as like if you think about cars following each other in a line, you think of a funeral. In this case, we're celebrating. It's going to be like a graduation. So now people are doing graduation where you just drive by and, you know, honk. And so what we're doing is setting up volunteers um in the parking spaces to help you decorate your car. We have chalk markers for glass. We have posters you can tape up on your car. It's going to be great. And like, I have so many people reaching out. Like I have, um I'm in a wheelchair. I can't like attend. Like, can I do something? Yeah. Can come drive like let's, let's get somebody get to you in the car let's get here you know what I mean yeah Let, let's get you here and I know a lot of uh, older people in the community have been reaching out and saying like hey thank you so much for this we really appreciate this I haven't been out since a long time ago and so it's just like it's so heartwarming because it's like wow we're we're thinking of new ideas because of this and so how can we adapt and how can we still adapt and change because just because COVID is here that that's not going to silence our voices
2: up next, A Few Minutes with the Mayor, where Sydney Foreman talks to Mayor John Hamilton of Bloomington about local issues. We turn to Sydney Foreman in our recurring Monday segment.
3: Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. Um, our first question comes from Sarah, and she is asking, "Where is Bloomington on the eight use of force policies that, when enforced together, can vastly reduce police killings?"
1: Yes, I think that's referring to—I forget the name of the the website or. Uh,
3: it's uh, eight or, can't wait.
1: Eight can't wait exactly. Um, we'll actually probably review all those in public uh, at a public safety board meeting. But I think generally folks find that we, um, I believe, have compliance actually already with all of those, with the exception, I believe, of the moving vehicle. That's, uh, those are eight procedures or protocols that are suggested as really important to reduce inappropriate violence uh, from a police department. So I'm glad about that, and I think that vehicle policy is worth talking about, as every policy that we have is. People should know that the Bloomington Police Department at my direction in 2016 did a very thorough review of the 21st century policing report. It came out of the Obama administration after Ferguson, Missouri, that recommended 80-some policies uh, to be reviewed and essentially embraced by communities uh, to e- encourage um, better relations and better performance of our public safety officials and we did that review very intensively over a period of number of months in 2016 and adopted all of the recommendations with one exception in that case too which was the 21st century policing report recommended using tasers having a non-lethal alternative of tasers Um, and we have not chosen to do that locally and that's a complicated decision there are different views about that but These are all good things to do constantly to review, are we doing the best procedures and protocols we should have?
3: Follow-up question to that was, which of these policies are enforced in Bloomington? But you kind of answered that already, saying that at least seven of them. And just to clarify that, vehicles one is to ban shooting at moving vehicles for the public.
1: Yes, I think the policy is actually to ban shooting from a moving vehicle or at a moving vehicle. Okay. And uh, our police, from what I understand, it's very, very frowned upon and not trained to shoot from a moving vehicle because it is so difficult. Uh, so that side of that equation, I think we've already, in our training and in our protocols, it's it's it is really not expected to shoot from a moving vehicle. And I think it's fair to ask uh, under what circumstances, if any, is it appropriate to shoot at a moving vehicle? And I I think that's a good question, uh, but all the others, de-escalation techniques and minimizing shootings and duty report and many other things are, are in place already, seven out of those eight.
3: And you said these would be or that one would be discussed with the public. Would that be with the city council meeting or just a mayoral city meeting, or how would that look?
1: It could be any of those. I've mm-hmm. asked our police department to revisit the 21st Century Policing Report. President Obama actually just last week uh, asked mayors around the country uh, in connection with that police questions to re-indicate a commitment to review that report. A lot of communities have not looked at that report. We already did it, but I've asked that in the context of the Public Safety Board, which is a monthly public meeting with the uh, citizen-appointed board that oversees the police and fire departments for them to revisit that and review it. And I think that would be a kind of place to start this and, and revisit any policies like that. And it could end up in front of council, but I think it would start probably at the Public Safety Board where they monthly review all the activities of the police and procedures and that kind of thing.
3: The city announced last week that pools will not be opening this summer. Can you speak about this decision?
1: Yes, that was a difficult decision. We 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 worked long and hard. The Parks Department has spent many, many hours trying to think about this um, and in the end just couldn't find a way to open our pools that was really feasible financially and uh, kind of practically. Um, there were many factors, uh, one of which was our lifeguards. We, we couldn't get our lifeguards certified because there were no inside pools that were open or other pools that were open to do the certification. and certification of a lifeguard involves very close physical contact. Those were of concern. We know the protocols, if we were to open a pool, would require really stringent limits on how many people could be there and how they behave. We talked to public pools all through the state, in fact, the country, and we looked at could we open one pool and and, uh, manage that financially. You know, there's a lot of financial pressure on the Parks Department now and city government and we ended up, like 80% of the public pools in Indiana, just deciding there was not a feasible way to do it. The only silver lining I'll say about that is we do have a new splash pad at Switchyard Park, which we will open this month uh, to to at least have a public place where people, particularly young people, I know how important it is to families and and folks to enjoy a water on a hot day. So we'll we'll be sending people to Switchyard Park and hope that that can get us through the summer and, and look forward to a full season next year.
3: Do you think that <laughs> other public public outdoor facilities like parks will reopen soon.
1: I do think, of course, parks are open now. Uh, They've been open throughout, and we have had the playgrounds closed on the park for safety uh, of transmission of the disease and uh, pools, uh, fitness stations, and fitness centers. Uh, I do think they will open probably soon. It depends upon the local health orders, but Twin Lakes Recreation Center internal, um, like a gym and a fitness center, they opened as did many fitness centers and gyms in the city. I will note that the use has been quite low from what I understand. I think a lot of people who might use Twin Lakes Recreation Center understand they don't feel it's time yet for them to get there, but that's open. And we all want to have as many options to get out of our house and into the beautiful weather as we can. And I do think playgrounds and parks, uh, facilities like the fitness centers and Uh, splash pads and others will open in the coming weeks.
3: And then the last question I have here today is, um, Ivy Tech has returned the John Waldron Arts Center to the city of Bloomington, and the Board of Public Works is scheduled to review that agreement tomorrow on the 9th. Um, Who in the city will be deciding the future of the Waldron Arts Center?
1: That's a great question. Uh, As folks probably know, the Waldron has a long history. As a city building, it was City Hall at one point, had the fire department, police department, others in it. It was transferred uh, a couple decades ago to the Bloomington Arts Council, which ran it for a number of years. But then that arrangement, well before my time, that arrangement um, terminated and there was an agreement made to have Ivy Tech operate and own it and part of that arrangement when it was transferred to ivy tech i think for a dollar was that if ivy tech ever chose not to continue to use it that the city had the right to have it returned to the city so ivy tech has chosen after 10 years to not continue to use the Waldron and frankly we have to figure out what we want to do with it Um, I think there'll be a quick internal review just to make sure we understand the condition of the building and what needs to be done in the short run but really I'll probably ask a community ad hoc group to be formed to, to revisit and relook and rethink what should we do with the Waldron. It's a beautiful old building. Uh, beautiful old buildings are expensive to run and operate. and We need to look at the finances of it. We need to look at the physical condition of it and then I think the community needs to have a big discussion about what's the best use of this building for the public benefit.
3: Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's feature was produced by Jake Jacobson, Nicholas DeBrida, Sydney Foreman, and myself.
3: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB programming online at wfhb.org.
3: You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB.